Okay, we're talking about how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and today we're going to talk about being supportive. Now, my favorite sort of supportive story that I've ever heard was about Pepper Rogers. He was a football coach at UCLA. He was a football coach several places, but at one time he was a football coach at UCLA. By the way, we're going to be in Luke 1 today if you want to find your way there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Anyway, Pepper Rogers was having a pretty bad season uh, at UCLA. Think uh, Kentucky football, and uh, it'll get you there real fast because we never have a good season. But anyway, um, Pepper Rogers was having a bad season, and um, <laughs> kind of everybody was against him. The press was kind of on his case. The, um, all of the alumni were on his case, that sort of thing. And uh, <clears throat> so he's at a press conference, and they ask him how he's dealing with it. And he said, th- this is the quote. My dog uh, is my only true friend. Then he goes, I told my wife every man needs at least two good friends, so she brought me another dog. Now, um, th- that's, <laughs> that's encouraging, but it's not real encouraging. So today we're going to talk about how to be supportive. And ladies, today is your day. We're going to talk about Elizabeth. Now, this is a little known fact about Elizabeth. She's in the Christmas story, and this is cool. She's pretty ordinary, but God uses her in an or- extraordinary way. And you might say, well, how do you get, uh, you know, how do you get her as an average Joe? If her name is Elizabeth, you don't, you know, most people don't know this, but there are some uh, ancient manuscripts that let us know she's from the south, from south Israel, and her name was Lizzie Joe. Uh, so uh, not many people know that, but I'm glad to, to let you know she was, she was Joe too. Okay, so point is, she did, God used her in an extraordinary way. She's a pretty ordinary person. And we're going to be introduced to her in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. The text is going to be on the screen, except I have to turn it on. Yeah, now it's going to work. Look at that. All right, Luke 5, Luke 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Okay. His wife, a priest, that's important. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. They were both well along in years. Okay, so we've got to do a little background work on both these people. When you read the word priest, priest in the uh, New Testament context and the priest today, di- kind of a different deal. So understand this. Um, Zechariah, being a priest, was a lot about who your ancestors were. He was of the tribe of Levite. He was a Levite. And so the Levites were the priests. You couldn't be a priest unless you were a Levite. That's why it says that not only was he a Levite, but also that Elizabeth was from that particular kind of lineage. And so sort of important. Levites would... They would offer sacrifices. They would burn incense. We're going to see that in a minute. Uh, they would do the. They were kind of like preachers, honestly. They they sort of uh, rotated. We're going to talk about that a little bit. They weren't always at the temple. Uh, most of the time, they were away from the temple. But unless you were the high priest, you sort of rotated in and out. Now, Elizabeth. What we saw about Elizabeth was that she didn't have children. This was in our context. That's. We've, we've all known people that couldn't have babies, and, and it's hurt, hurtful, and, and uh, you know, it hurts a, a woman's spirit and a husband, and, and it's just tough sometimes. But we have fertility clinics, and we have adoption as options. Not really, that really wasn't the case in the first century, and so 
Elizabeth was without child in a culture where that was a really, really big deal. Um, having children was, you provided uh, extra workers for your husband. So if your husband was a farmer, what you wanted was to have sons so your sons could help him farm and take over the farm once your husband died. If your husband was a jeweler, you wanted to have sons so the sons could help take over the business when your husband passed away. That's kind of how it worked. Um, they were going to carry on the name. They were going to share the work. Um, and in the Hebrew culture, the success of your child reflected directly on you as a mother. So if, you're, if your son was successful, then everybody looked to you and they would say, wow, uh, he's successful and you're the mother of this successful man. And, and it was a huge, huge deal. In fact, it was such a big deal for women to have sons for their husbands. There's an Old Testament rule, this is creepy, that if you as a husband were to die and your wife hadn't had any sons yet, that your, your brother would attempt to impregnate your wife after you're dead. Um, it's creepy. I'm a, I'm a, let's stop. All right, it's, it's creepy. Now, for a woman, um, it, it, was, it was disgraceful uh, to not have kids, to not have sons. It was in this culture, not today, understand, not today. In that culture, it was a huge deal to not have children. And, and it was more than just disgraceful. There was this sort of underlying notion that if you're not having kids, it's because God has, is disfavored with you. He, he is, he's not happy with you. you. You've done something to cause this. There was a lot of that that went on in the first century. So to say that Elizabeth was an ordinary person, I, I would think she would probably feel less than ordinary. She would not just feel regular, she would feel inferior. And, and so it's into her life that God does a great thing. Now, spiritually, it talks about them. They were upright they were blameless. They were spiritual powerhouses. But Elizabeth was an underdog. Uh, and, and we love the underdog stories. I mean, think about like Hoosiers. That's a great underdog movie. Uh, Cinderella Man, Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5, Rocky Balboa, Creed. I mean, there are, there's the under, underdog. We like those stories where the underdog... Uh, comes out ahead, and, and of course, um, we, we like it because sometimes we're the underdog. So, let's go on with our story. Oh, this is my favorite meme from Black Friday. Uh, Yo, Adrian, I got us a TV. Uh, so, underdog, underdog. I forgot that was in there. It makes me giggle. Okay, let's go on. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot. We'll explain this in a second. They, they kind of threw these holy dice. <laughs> Weird. Uh, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. I'm going to get my phone. Hold on just a second. Nobody's calling me. I just want to do something. Talk amongst yourselves. This is important. I've got to get to the right place. Oh, here it is. Okay. So... I got to connect. Hold on. Keep talking. Okay, there we are. All right. So, listen. Can you hear that? 
All right. When, when, stop. No, really. Oh, good. Okay. This verse is the Rocky music verse. This happens, and all of a sudden, you should hear, ding, ding, ding. Because you knew in the Rocky movies what was going to happen. When Rocky got his mind right, when he got Adrian out of the way, you know, when, when he got his mind right, when he stopped fearing Clubber Lang or that guy from Russia, uh, when he got his mind right, then the music would start. And you knew, man. Every guy in this room, if you don't get chills at that music, you should turn in your man card. Because that is, that is the moment where this thing is going to go right. Rocky is going to make it happen. This verse, these verses, all of a sudden, man, Zechariah, his, his luck has changed. He doesn't have any kids, but now he gets this super privilege of getting to go into Herod's temple. By the way, this place, this is sort of a rendering of it. It could hold uh, over 200,000 people. It, it was huge. It, it took years to build. There were 10,000 workmen. Now get this, when they were built, this was such a holy place that they wouldn't even craft this on site. Every stone, they would be hundreds of yards away fashioning the stone and then carrying it to the spot and putting it down. Uh, This was the spot that if you hit your uh, thumb with a hammer, you didn't cuss. No cussing allowed. Uh, When you ate lunch from Sonic, you didn't throw your burger wrapper down. This was a holy, holy place. And uh, once every uh, five times a year, as a priest, you, you went to this holy site. Now, uh, all the priests showed up on these three big festivals. There's Passover, uh, there was uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and uh, the Feast of Weeks. And so three times a year, they'd all show up. And then two times a year, you'd go kind of randomly, like um, uh, the reserves. Like we have the reserves now, two, two weeks a year, they would kind of go. And, and this was the most important religious place in the world, and... To go in and offer at the altar of incense was this, this incredible, incredible honor. Now, you had about one in a 250 chance of being selected to go in there. It, it said, you know, they, they threw lots, they had lots, and basically threw dice, and, and somebody would win. And, and you had a one in 250 chance of going in. And once you got in, you only did it one time because it was such an honor, and nobody got to do it twice. And so Zechariah has this amazing opportunity to go offer incense and and the symbolism was as the incense burned when you burn incense the smoke rises and the picture of that was the smoke is rising like the prayers of God's people rising to heaven and you'd go in and you'd offer this incense you'd be the only one in the room because it was the most holy place in all of Israel and there would be people outside and they would be praying for you while you were inside and it's this this amazing moment and Zechariah is in there by himself because nobody's allowed in there other than the the priest and he's offering incense and when you would light the incense the first thing that you would do you'd light it and then you'd fall on your face before God in humble prayer so get the picture it's a room Zechariah is all by himself there is incense rising to heaven and he is on the ground face first face planted on the ground Offering prayers to God. That's kind of where we are. Then one of the angels, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Okay. 
dude has never seen an angel. Now, we've got movies, and we watch stuff, and so if an angel shows up today, it's going to be, uh, the impact is going to be just a little less than it would be for people who had never seen anything like this. An angel shows up while you're laying on the ground offering incense to God, and when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, you think? I mean, we get this notion of angels like little babies die and, and we say, oh, he's an angel now and he's up in heaven playing a little angel harp. Not so much. This angel scared the bejeebers out of this geezer. That, that's what happened right here. Okay. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are going to give him the name John. This was a holy moment in a holy place. This was Rocky music time. I'm almost certain that when the angel shows up, that music plays. It's not biblical, but I'm fairly certain that's true. He was gripped with fear. You have to wonder Zachariah's response to this. Because I've got to tell you, if if I've been... (laughs) Number one, it's a great day because you got chosen to offer incense. a, A huge honor. Number two, you get visited by an angel, something that hadn't happened, by the way, for 400 years. First time in 400 years, something like this happens. Pretty big deal. Now he's not only, not only do you get to offer incense, you're visited by an angel, but the angel tells you you're going to have a son. I I could just imagine his old boat's cabbage patching. I mean, can't you just imagine this was a a moment of super excitement? I mean, he's as excited as you can be when you're uh, his age. It's a hard time believing this message and so Zechariah is a little shocked. He asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? How can I? This is really important, guys. I want you to really check this out. I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. That is never appropriate to say, okay? Um, you just need to understand, guys. Even, look what happens. This is what happens when you talk about your wife's age. Look, the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been to been speak to send to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. Let me translate. I'm going to shut your pie hole for what you said about your wife. That's what happens right here. You're going to be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens. Okay. I hope you got the message, guys. All right. So now we've got Zechariah. And I can't imagine how you finish the process of offering incense because... How excited must you be that you were visited by an angel and you come out and can't you imagine people are going to say, how did it go? And he's like, I mean, you can't say anything. Um, And so he walks home and he somehow he communicates with his wife. Um, There's an angel, his name is Gabriel, and Gabriel said, God said, you're going to have a baby. Now, can you imagine that conversation? I mean, it wasn't a conversation. Maybe he wrote it out or he signed it. You know, and, and that could be misinterpreted, uh, you know. Uh, get slapped, uh, you know, for that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, he communicates somehow to her that she is going to have a baby. This is super good news. And I can just, listen, can't you imagine, she says, are you sure you heard him right? Because you've not been hearing well lately. I mean, can't you, can't you just see how that conversation might go down? And, and he can't wait to share this good news because it is like amazing good news. And, and I, in my mind, I sort of, I, I picture 
what sort of celebration you have when you've been waiting all your life and now you're kind of old and you're too old to have kids and all of a sudden you're told you're going to have kids. I, I, I think about the celebration. Celebrations, <laughs> when you get older, they take on a kind of a different deal, honestly. Here's the <laughs> when, when I was a kid, I remember New Year's Eve. I could not wait for New Year's Eve because it was the one day of the year my parents were going to let me stay up till 12. Now New Year's Eve for me is like I'm going to go to bed at 10 and I hope nobody wakes me up. Uh, so it changes a little bit. But here you've got Zechariah and Elizabeth and this is the greatest news that you could ever have. And look how she responds to this. Because this is kind of cool. When, when Zechariah's time for service was complete, he returned home. And after, his wife, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. Um, I, don't, there's, I really haven't read anything about this, like why she would want to stay in seclusion. S- sometimes uh, mothers don't tell when they get pregnant because they're afraid. You know, something might happen. The pregnancy might go wrong. Perhaps that's what's behind this, but for five months she didn't tell anybody. It's kind of how I read this. She sort of stayed out of the public eye. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away, what's the word there? What, what did he take away? Her disgrace. I mean, it was a big deal to not have kids. And I think it's, I don't know if it's comforting or revealing. or There's something about this. But even godly people like Elizabeth are vulnerable to criticism. I mean, we're vulnerable to criticism. And she was vulnerable to this. And if this was the end of the story, if, if it was all done, if, if the story would end here, the headline would be underdog woman uh, has incredible victory over life. And we would all celebrate because this would be a big deal. But it doesn't end here. And this isn't the end, and, and this is kind of the beginning of this story. Because Gabriel wasn't done. I mean, you talk about a guy that has a good run. Man, he, he gets to go tell uh, Zechariah that he's going to have a son, and you're going to name him John, and he's going to be a forerunner of, of the Messiah. And then you know, six months later, he gets to have the, the same sort of conversation with a young woman named Mary. Now, again... You, you've, got, you've got Mary. Uh, women, uh, young girls in that age, in that era, uh, were engaged normally at 13 years old. They got married at 14 years old. I've got daughters. I can't imagine my girls getting married at 14 years old. I mean, they were good girls and they were smart and all, but um, that wasn't going to happen because <laughs> I would have killed somebody. And, and so uh, um, you, you look at this and, and it's just interesting. And Gabriel... When he makes the announcement to Mary, says, oh, by the way, you, you got a, a cousin. Her name is Lizzie Joe, and she's going to have a baby too. Even though she's well past child-rearing years, she's going to have a baby. And there's a reason Gabriel told her that. And, 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 and look at how he says it. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. And this verse, for some of us today, is the verse that we needed to hear all week. For nothing is impossible with God. Hey, you know, you're wondering if this can happen to you, Mary. I get it. I understand you got some doubt here. I get it. But Elizabeth, your relative, 
was with child. People said she was barren. She was never going to have kids, and now she's going to have kids. And nothing is impossible with God. Now, this is kind of leading up to what we're going to talk about today. How can you be supportive? Um, Elizabeth was extraordinarily supportive. Well, how did she do it? Well, i got four things today. And if you have an outline, if you have your program, you want to use that to, to fill in the blanks, here we go. Number one, the way to be supportive is to share your life with others. Engage people in conversation. Ha- have opportunity to, to, to share your life. Look at the verse. At that time, at the time Mary was told by Gabriel, hey, you're going to have a... Um, you're going to have a baby, even though you've never been with a man, even though this is physiolog- physiologically impossible, you're going to have a baby. And at this time, this very moment, as soon as Gabriel left, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country. She literally headed for the hills. That's what happens here. The country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, there's speculation around, okay, why would Mary leave immediately? And there, I've read some interesting stuff. Some, like she couldn't face Joseph at that, at that time, and Joseph is eventually visited uh, by an angel, and he said, hey, you know, the angel said, it's okay, this is cool, don't worry about this, and th- this is God's son, and, and what, she's, you know, what you've heard, it's not the way you heard it. So maybe she, uh, maybe she exited quickly so that she could give Joseph time to process Perhaps. Maybe she left town immediately because she knew there was going to be a little bit of a rough stretch coming up. Because in that culture, if you became pregnant and it wasn't your husband's, the law said you could be stoned. That's not a good deal. Maybe she realized that there was going to be talk. And you know that kind of talk. Hey, she's unmarried and she's pregnant. That kind of talk around the well at the city square. We don't exactly know. It doesn't exactly say. doesn't specifically say this is why Mary went to the hills. But, but there's another explanation. Who else would understand it better than Elizabeth? I mean, who, who else would, would get it? Who else was having a miraculous pregnancy at the very moment? Who, who else uh, was, could be more empathetic? There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Empathy is something you've gone through. Sympathy is, I feel for you. It's different. Who else in all of the planet could be empathetic to this young girl's plight? I mean, think about this. In normal context, if your 13-year-old daughter comes into your, uh, into your living room and says, Hey, Dad, I'm pregnant. And you, after you pull your jaw off the floor, say, What? And she gives the explanation, yeah, uh, an angel came into my room and he, he told me that God was going to make me pregnant and I'm going to be uh, the mother of the Son of God. And I think the first thing out of my mouth would say, all right, try again. Because that's crazy. And what are you in smoking? I mean, that is, that's nuts. That is insane. That's not even logical. It's not even possible. The one person on the planet where she had a hope of getting an audience where the, the person she's talking to might say, you know, I understand that, I get that, is Elizabeth. See, there's no shame in needing somebody else. We all need somebody to lean on. 
ought to be a song. I mean, really, uh, there ought to be a song about that. We all need somebody. At times in our lives, we all need somebody that will understand what we're going through. Here's the big idea for the week. God gets us through things so we can help others get through similar things. I remember when my mom died, my, my mom's, uh, when my, my dad died, my mom was lost. But she, all of her friends still had their husbands. And she was the first in her little group of people to lose a husband. And they were so good to her. And they would invite her out to eat. And it just made her feel more lonely. Because it would be her friends and their husbands and her. And I know for the first year or two, you talk about just that achy pain that you get of loss. And feeling like you don't have a purpose. And then one day, one of her other friend's husbands died. And mom had been through that. and God had gotten her through that. And God had gotten her through that. And then she started to say, you know, God got me through this so I could help my friend get through this. And so she would call her and, and they would go to lunch. And they had opportunity to, to help each other. God gets us through stuff, sometimes really bad stuff, so that we can help others get through stuff. There's a, I mean, it's kind of the, the, the deal behind um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Celebrate Recovery, and these are programs where people get together who are going through the same stuff. Sometimes you just need somebody that's done it to help you do it. You, you need some help. And so Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. Now that's quite, that's quite a stay. Elizabeth opened up her life. The Bible talks about this often, by the way. Love each other with genuine affection. I like this. Take delight in honoring each other. You've got to serve each other. And while Christ is always with us, and the, the beauty of Christmas is, even his name means he's going to be with us. The virgin will conceive a child, he'll, she'll give birth to a son, he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we're in a season where we're reminded that God is always with us. But sometimes you need flesh and bone. You need somebody that's gone through it to help you get through it. And once you get through it, you need to look for opportunities to help somebody else get through it. I, I've seen it... <laughs> thousand times in my life if somebody comes to me with something i've never experienced a lot of times i'll say well you know i don't know a lot about this but let me let me direct you to somebody that, ha- that has gone through this I, they can help you with this so number one share your life together number two share your story now get the this is a nuance and i want to show this to you at that time mary got ready hurried to the hill country already saw that where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted elizabeth In in this story, the word greet is used several times. In verse 41, Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. In verse 44, it says, at the sound of your greeting. And when we greet people, if Cam and I meet one another, I'll say, hey man, how you doing? And Cam says, I'm doing good, Clemson one. You know, we kind of have a real kind of a surfacey conversation. But in in Hebrew culture, it's it's much deeper than that. A bigger, much deeper deal. 
So if, if you greeted somebody, when, when Mary came to Elizabeth's home, there would, there would be an embrace. And then uh, Mary would say, how's it been going with you? And they would go and sit down. <laughs> and Elizabeth would tell her her story. And can't you imagine, they had a lot to talk about this particular couple of people. And, and so they would sit down around tea or <laughs> around coffee or whatever they had. And, and uh, they would have a conversation. And Mary would say, hey, how's it going? I, I understand uh, from a, a source Big things are happening in your life. And Elizabeth would have shared the story. Yes, Zechariah had the honor of offering incense at the altar, at the temple. And while he was there, this angel Gabriel showed up. And Gabriel said, you're going to have a, a son. And Zechariah sort of said, hey, how can I even know this is true? And Gabriel said, it's going to be true. You're going to name your son John. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah and then he struck Zechariah mute. And then she would have grinned. Because that's good news for any wife. Uh, think about that. Ladies, you talk about the mother load of good news. I'm going to have a baby and you can't talk. I mean, good grief. How good does it get? And so, Elizabeth would have had the conversation about her life. And then she would have said, hey, what's, what's going on with you? And... And Mary would have related her story. Hey, that, that same angel, he showed up at my house. And he told me that I'm going to be pregnant. I'm going I'm to be with child, even though I've never been with a man. And, and I'm scared. And the parallels of the story, if, you should, I'll give you a, a homework. Luke 1, I mean, all you got to do is turn your Bible to Luke 1 and read the account of Gabriel's conversation with Zechariah and then read Gabriel's account of his conversation with Mary because there's a lot of parallels. A lot of stuff went the same way. When the angel showed up unannounced, both places unannounced, there was no fanfare, just now all of a sudden Gabriel's there. It's Gabriel both times. Um, both times... Zechariah is gripped with fear. Mary is afraid. Both times, Gabriel says, do not be afraid. To Mary, he says, do not be afraid. Kind of interesting. He, he says to Zechariah, you will have a son. He says to Mary, you will have a son. He says to Zechariah, your son will be great. He says to Mary, your son will be great. To Zechariah, he says, you will give him the name John. To Mary, he says, you will give him the name Jesus, both of them questioned. Gabriel, how can this be? Uh, it, it's super interesting, the parallels in the two stories. And, and, and this is why it's interesting to me. I've never really seen that until this week. But, but I think this is super important. The parallels of these two stories are important to Mary because they prove that God makes good on his promises. All right, there's a reason this happened six months later. So she goes to Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth said, this is how, this is how the angel said it was going to go down. And look, it's gone down exactly the way he said, even though it's physiologically impossible for me to have a baby. Look, I'm starting to show. It's true. There's a miracle here. This angel announced a miracle, and it's coming to fruition just the way he said and now there's testimony. It, it is visual evidence. There's, uh, 
there's uh, proof that what the angel said God was going to do, he is doing in the life of Elizabeth. And Mary can take comfort and know that what Gabriel said to her is going to be true. It's going to work out the way Gabriel said. God is in charge and he does miracles. And I see, Mary would say, I see a miracle right in front of me. The reality of the fact is that God does miracles. And by telling each other their story, they come to the conclusion. Mary would have to come to the conclusion that God does what he says he's going to do. And it was, it was affirming and encouraging for her. It's the third thing I think about being supportive. And this one is kind of interesting. We have to stifle negative competition. In a loud voice, Elizabeth claimed, exclaimed, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Here's what I've noticed. In, in a competitive world, sometimes we're competitive even with our kids. Like, if my kid fumbles, he's trying. If your kid fumbles, he's not any good. Right? Uh, if, if my uh, kid shoots the basket and misses, it's because she was fouled. If your kids shoot the basket and misses, it's because they're no good. We're competitive this way. And, and it is what it is. I mean, I don't know if you're that way. I'm that I mean, man, I, you know, I want my kids to excel. And that, that's kind of how it works. And yet here we have, we have Elizabeth who's been told she's going to have a child who's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. This is huge. And yet, Mary shows up whose son is going to be greater. And evidently, it appears she's got no problem with that. Elizabeth's got no problem with that. And remember, in the Hebrew culture, a woman's greatness is tied to the greatness of her son. In fact, you you see it. There's this... I've read this about a hundred times, and I never quite figured out why this woman did this. But Jesus was teaching this one time, and a woman in the crowd just sort of stands up, and she says... Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And I got to tell you, that's a, weird, that's a weird statement right there. Blessed is the mother who nursed you. And like public, we don't say that stuff. And well, there's a reason. What she was doing is, she was saying, I recognize Jesus. You are amazing. And evidently, that reflects on your mom. That, re- that reflects, your mother must have been awesome for you to be that great. And that's what happens. And so you have Elizabeth, and in a typical Jewish way, in deep humility, she says, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got to acknowledge something. Uh, you, are, you are the greatest among women, and your child is going to be great. And then look at what she says. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That is a super cool verse. By the way, The word Lord is used in Luke 1 and 2 about 25 times. Every time it's talking about God and His his power and majesty. And and when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are saying that Jesus is God. And there was a direct connection between the two. And the Bible instructs us to be, well, I I love this. In in Romans it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony. Uh, and, And what we find in this particular story is Elizabeth rejoicing. With a woman who is going to give birth to a son that's going to be better than hers. And evidently, she doesn't care. Because she's stifled 
competitive competition, this, this negativism. Finally, we encourage. Now, last week we talked about encouragement. If you want to go back and listen to that podcast, uh, that, that's a, a pretty encouraging uh, message. But here, we find it again. It's kind of throughout the Christmas story. In a loud voice, I mean, with excitement, Elizabeth exclaims, Blessed are you, Mary, among women. This is a, uh, the construction of this verse says, You are the most blessed woman. It could be translated that way. And blessed is the son that you will bear. It's a pretty cool text. Let's end with this. I want to show you one thing. One more thing. This is really kind of cool. When Gabriel was talking to Zechariah, he said, Your son, John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Now, kind of an in, it's, it's interesting. Because when we think in a, from a New Testament context, why are we filled with the Spirit? Well, we're filled with the Spirit so we can discern His voice. We're filled with, uh, we're spilled with the Spirit. Uh, we're filled with the Spirit uh, so that we can uh, know what to do. Uh, we can obey His commands. Um, This is why you're filled with the Spirit. But in the Old Testament context, you were filled with the Spirit sometimes to offer prophecy, to speak truth, maybe to force-speak truth. Like, it had never been spoken before, and I'm going to speak this, and the Holy Spirit fills you, and you speak truth. Now, now, again, never noticed this before, but, but did you remember when it said, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, how do you how do you know the baby leaped for joy? Well, Elizabeth translates this action. This baby was happy, happy. I mean, that's kind of uh, it's a happy baby. Even this is super cool. Even though John is in the womb. The excitement of the Messiah was so much. He couldn't speak encouragement, so he leaped encouragement. I mean, that is just, we are to find every avenue to encourage. Sometimes it's with words, sometimes with actions. We're to do it as often as we can. It's a, it's a super cool story about Elizabeth and, and how she responded to the opportunity to be supportive. And man, was she a great friend. And we can take this and we can be great friends. We can share our lives. We can share our stories. We can kind of stifle competition. And we can speak and act encouragingly. These are things that we can do.